Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. But I think that's part of the thing, right? The skill of learning how we learn, not just learning how to learn, but how I learn, how Catherine learns, you know, how Tony learns. It's like a really other like important thing. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of the Women in Tech show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. I am Mike Veldhuis, business owner of the Dutch IT company Nalta and podcaster from the Netherlands. I just love the Women in Tech podcast by the talented Esprit Devora. It's made with passion and creativity. It gives insight into the world of inspirational women from all around the globe. But most of all, it's fun to listen to. Esprit Devora truly is the girl who gets it done. LinkedIn presents... to the Women in Tech podcast in celebrating incredible women in tech from all around the world. My name is Catherine Roan and I have the incredible privilege of guest hosting this episode. And with me today is a really good friend of mine, Charlotte from Surrey, just outside London. Charlotte, welcome. Hi, Catherine. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for making the time to chill and chat. Um, Look, I'm not going to you know, I'm not going to take over it here. I'm going to let you do the honors. Please let us know a little bit about yourself and what you've been up to. Yeah, sure. Thank you. So my name's Charlotte Crowther. My roots are half British and half Chinese from Hong Kong. I've lived in loads of places, South Korea, Hong Kong, Oxford, London, Barcelona. Now, as you shared, I live just outside London in the Surrey Hills, which I love. I get to enjoy the British, true British English countryside. Um, A lot of green space, place to like breathe, think, exercise, chill with family and friends. And yeah, I work now in the ed tech space. I have developed a self-assessment methodology and digital tool called My Snapshot. Wow. I didn't realize you had gone to so many places. Was that travel, like your travel or was it your family moving around or? Bit of both. So, um... Born out in Hong Kong, lived there and in South Korea till I was like five. And uh, yeah, then my parents decided to come back to the UK to like have a, a British education for my sister and I, which is very kind of them. Did school and stuff at, um, in Berkshire, just outside of London and uh, went to Oxford Uni. So hence lived there for a while. Um, off uni, lived in London and then moved to Barcelona. Where the plan was just like to live there for a year. Um, and then that suddenly became five. And then I was like, whoa. So came back to London afterwards and was there a good good amount of time. And then COVID came and didn't expect to move out of London. But we um, we rented um, just with you know, the craziness. We were just like getting stir crazy in the flat in London. And then we were just like, wow, this is so great out here. And uh, took the plunge. I hear that I, 
where you would live in London is just tiny. Is that true? I've never been to London, so I don't know. Oh, you would love it. You would love it. It's look, you get pockets everywhere. It's like such a diversity, like so much going on. Um, we, the, the spot that I was in was kind of Northeast London. And what was great, there was like parks and canals, um, and reservoirs near me. So it was just kind of, I've always been a bit of a nature kind of outdoorsy person. So it was nice to have that, but then be half an hour, like tube ride right into like Oxford circus. Um, so pretty central, but like anywhere in London, it's, it could easily take you an hour to get anywhere. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was fine. Yeah. It's definitely like, you know, the smaller side of things, the flat, you know, it wasn't, it was comfortable, but you know, it's, it's London. Um, so yeah, we were like so pleased to get out during COVID and then we're just like having a little back since. Oh, what a good call. I mean, like, I think COVID pushed us, a lot of us into rethinking a lot of things. Right. And, you know, being closer to nature or, or making some decisions, lifestyle decisions where it's like, oh man, I miss this. You know, like I can imagine you just, just appreciating just having greenery around you and not something that you really registered when you were just the day-to-day doing your thing. Yeah, do you know what? Like one of one of the things for me that really came out was my like prioritization of wellness in all the senses, like not just like health, but like, you know, mental health, financial health, environment, relationships you know, with yourself, you know, intellectually. I really enjoy, you know, kind of exploring that, building on that, um, eating well, you know, all of that sort of thing. And I just felt like you just have the space out here in London and it's you're so kind of cramped. You can't really relax properly and like decompress. Like even just like, you know, sleep deeply, you know, you almost have to like intellectually tie yourself to sleep deeply. I mean, of course, this is not, you know, not everyone's in that scenario. This is just how it is for me. Um, and I was just like, yeah, this is, this is a priority. This is what I really want to optimize for. And I know I love it. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Like with my background and health and wellbeing, you know, I'm like, that does, you know, does make sense. But I guess it's, it's kind of different when you make a decision around that, you know, it's obviously not the only driving factor, but it's, it was more of a driving factor than I realized. And whenever I go into town and go, going quite often, it's just like, oh yeah. When I come back out, I'm just like, oh Yes. Really appreciate the space. Mm-hmm. For sure. Going back to something you said before about Barcelona, you only intended to go there for a year. What made you stay for five? Oh my gosh, it was crazy. So, you know, I sucked at languages at school and I was like, I want to learn another language. Unfortunately, I don't speak Cantonese. I didn't continue that as a child. Um, and Spanish seemed like a little bit easier to pick up of all of them. I didn't actually do that. At, I didn't study it at school. And I just thought, do you know what? Very naive of me, but hey, good shout overall. Um, why don't you just go live in a country and you'll learn it by living in the country? Mm, kind of works. It's, you know, a kind of immersion thing, but you still, I saw like kind of year two, I was like, I got to go to school to like learn my grammar and stuff. Yeah. But the reason why I stayed so long was after, after Oxford. So at Oxford, I studied fine arts. And then I thought instead of like doing a bar job to like, um, um, so, like funny story. So my my housemates at uni, they bought me a lesson in reflexology. So not a session, but a lesson. And my teacher happened to be the ex-president of the Association of Reflexologists in the UK. So someone who was like so, um, just so like down to earth and like very like 
kind of modern and contemporary you know there was no like kind of hippie sort of stuff going on so I thought actually I really we got on really well she's like you know why don't you kind of look into this um um, and study it I think you've got a knack for it so I was like actually yeah and it was really it was kind of themes I was kind of exploring when I when I was practicing as an artist and so when I moved to Barcelona, that was like, instead of doing like a bar job, you know, just because I didn't know the language or whatever, I practiced as a reflexologist. Um, but while I was out there, I came across a methodology called Grinberg. Um, and I just, just fell in love with it. I just think it was just an incredible way, um, you know, learning uh, like to to be well, like, you know, we talk a lot about fitness, you know, it's not, you know, we're not just born fit. We know we need to go to the gym. We need to look at what we eat. It's a whole, it's a skill set. As is as is being well, being well is a skill set mentally, behaviorally, emotionally, um, and that's what that's the premise of the Grimberg method that you can learn how to be well. Um, and the training was like three years over a four year period, so hence hence the five years after that, just because it's it's not very well known um, in internationally. It is there there are only kind of a few teachers in the world, and it's like a few hubs. Our practitioners and there was a hub of practitioners in Barcelona there's only literally like two or three in London at the time and whenever I connected them they were like I was like oh my gosh they just don't have like the community kind of you know that I was fortunate to be in um the biggest hubs were kind of Berlin Austria and and, and Barcelona so um so that's why I stayed out so long yeah yeah wow and so finance and then jumping into reflexology just for the record the first time I actually ever met Charlotte, and we've never met in person, we've only ever chatted over Zoom, and she had this wicked green smoothie <laughs> that I always think about. Oh, that's true. Oh, my gosh. Check it out. Yeah. Yes. And I, I can't even remember. You were saying that the ingredients had things that I'd never heard of before. And I was like, mm-hmm, let's just go with it. Yeah, that looks so great. And then you were like, you know, I can give you the ingredients if you want. And I was like, I don't even know what half these things are, but sure, thank you for being so kind. So, you know, all of this makes a lot of sense, right? But, I mean, what's really interesting to me is, you. I mean, the artist in you, I guess art just came out in a different form here when you, you came and did reflexology, right? And more so connected to the body and, and being well. And so how did that lead into you being an edtech founder? Right, 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 right. So the meta skill of learning how to be well is learning how to learn. You know, it was kind of a skill set that, I found a lot of my predominantly adult clients, I did have, you know, students, clients who were students or younger um, or like very elderly clients who, you know, just wanted like a, a, a kind of an opportunity to, to just like manage their, their health conditions at that age. So for the, but for the majority of adult learners, learning how to learn was, could be at times the difference between their success and not and you know a lot of that is curiosity confidence having the skills of learning managing personal insecurities doubts you know that often can cloud us so much as adults that we never it's difficult to adopt new things you know talk about unlearning relearning learning it's like you know it's it's a complex and simple thing at the same time, depending on your level of mastery. And so that was something that I really observed in in the people I worked with. Um, another thing was, as a practitioner of reflexology and a practitioner of the Grimberg Method, 
you know, I learned the skill of those modalities, but I didn't learn how to market. I didn't learn how to run a business and I wasn't taught how to teach either. So I also had to like develop these skills and they all were all interrelated because if I made the best conditions for my clients to be successful, they won because they achieved the transformation they came for. That impacts their communities. You know, they don't have as much back pain, for example, so they can like play sport with their friends or they are more confident in public speaking so they can like do well and get that job promotion, you know, which is a great thing for them and their communities. But for me as a, as a practitioner, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this, this stuff to, to help them, you know, to, to, to create an impact. And I grow as a person as a result, but also my business grows. Um, and it's just like this win, 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 you know, word of mouth, marketing, case studies, it's all an upward spiral. I kind of found that the reason why I've developed my snapshot is it's kind of like, it all starts with the quality of the input that determines the the output. So if I don't give a very clear explanation of a particular kind of skill or, or concept, and it's, it's just gonna, you know, it's gonna be even more difficult for that person to learn something, you know, on top of all the other stuff that they've got going on um, in their lives and, um, you know, any kind of doubts or, you know, fears they might have themselves. And so it became, I kind of realized that one of my jobs was to get better and clearer at what it is I was actually teaching. And the Grimberg method isn't, isn't well known. Um, and it, and it's not like, it's, it's quite a subtle way of like looking and thinking about the world. Um, nothing again, overly complex, you know, yoga has become more and more understood yet. There are some key kind of concepts and nuances there. It's just all in how we explain it, communicate it, that can make such a big difference. And then I would invite uh, clients to like reflect on certain things um, related to these key concepts and people start coming to me and be like you know I've actually answered my own question like through this process and I was like wow and it would just like save hours of time and then we could just get on to like the difficult bit which is like how do you actually apply this how do you build the new kind of muscles and master this in your own life that you know that's for me that that was the the special time in our one-to-one sessions to kind of really really get to that um so that's kind of how I kind of went down went down this route I'm so happy to to kind of get kind of yeah to to the to the core kind of skills around around yeah in this case applying it to being well but you can apply that to to everything in life it's so interesting that like you went from reflexology and then and then you stepped back one step further and said you know actually the meta of this is all all about learning because it's not a connection that i would have made with reflexology do you know what i mean like no it's just because sometimes when we think we're very little right literal sorry and so making that meta connection with, okay, what's actually behind all of this and what what is underpinning how well I can apply these things and learn these things, actually it's how you learn. So it's really interesting that you saw that. And how did you – how did that come about for yourself? Because I don't think that, that you would talk to many people and go, oh, yeah, it's actually the teaching, the learning behind that that makes – you know, all of this, this whole thing successful and for this whole, for this person to be well and to be better and to, to make these new changes in their lives. Yeah. So it actually happened 
as a practitioner, as a reflexologist, and and really is what drove me to working more and more as a Grunberg method practitioner. So, you know, we live in a very capitalist, consumerist society on the whole, you know, particularly in the Western world, let's say. Um, we're used to kind of being told what to think, what to do. Um, and you're used to buying things. You know, I'm buying this reflexology session. You're going to do your thing and I'm going to feel good. And that's going to get rid of that back pain, let's say. I'm going to have to keep coming back to you because I'm now relying on you to like reduce my back pain because I haven't learned what I'm doing that creates the back pain. Oh, do I create the back pain? Oh, I didn't know I did that. Oh yeah, no, I do do that. Otherwise I wouldn't have it. That's right. It doesn't just happen if I don't do it. So as a, as a, as a reflexologist, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't in it for people to keep coming back to me. I mean, yeah. Okay. Financially that could be great, but that for me is, is, is boring. Um, it's, it's, it's not moving the needle, you know, and it's not to judge anyone for, you know, if that works for you as a, as a reflexologist and or client, it's just what um, I'm interested in is how, how can you, how can you transform and change this, this situation? I, and that's really like the kind of golden like thread between all the work that I do. How, how do we, how do we grow and transform, you know, a thing, you know, from an artist's perspective, you know, when you're drawing something to our, ourselves and our lives to kind of how we learn, which is kind of a big, kind of aspect of of enabling um transformation so i kind of needed to do that as a practitioner also out of my own value set and my own beliefs and so yeah my practice was called um learn to be well um because it, th- that was for me what can can enable the long and that's really difficult as it is you know so for me like put, spending um, any bit of time that we do have in that direction helps. And, 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 and even that still takes a lot of time, you know, depending how entrenched a pattern is, uh, quite simply, um, and how, how able you are to learn and, and sustain the ability for new things to happen effectively. And so listening to all this is really cool because, I mean, as you know, like teacher background, right? So I'm like listening to all of these things and the way that you deconstruct learning, the way you think about learning is really interesting. How did you, how did you break that down for yourself? Not being a, so much a traditional, you know, trained teacher where you learn about pedagogy and you learn about, you know, techniques and philosophies around teaching. How did you do that for yourself? Mm. So it was one of those miraculous moments in my life where like, it was literally only until I was 19 that someone actually was like charlotte you had dyslexia and i was like i literally cried when someone's when and it was it was um it was someone like completely like unexpected like to get that from but she she's trained she was a trained teacher but for some reason it 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 came up and she's just like do you know what i just can't read what you've written you're 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 dyslexic and i was just like wow, yes, yes. And it was like this huge relief of like understanding that about myself. But as a child, like no one kind of picked it up. And so I was just like, happened to just be um, perusing my parents' um, bookshelf. And I came across this book called Use Your Head by Tony Buzan. 
um, who's known for inventing mind mapping. And, and, and I just, just learned from that book how to use my head. I learned about mind mapping and I learned techniques for, for, for learning and memory and recall. And it was, it was like the only way I can, way I can describe it is like the world went from like flat and gray to three dimensional and in color. It was, it was like, it was like I just something switched and I could like, in, like, it's like I could activate myself, integrate myself as a person and like with what was going on around me. I mean, don't get me wrong. It wasn't like on some, like, it was like some, some kind of sad sod before, but it, it was kind of what I'm trying to say through that example is, you know, I, I found a way to be curious and kind of engage the world and, and be able to kind of contribute. And it just like opened like a sense of creativity. I, I'm very much a visual thinker rather than like, with like very linear kind of lists and like loads of text where, you know, I kind of muddled my way through. It was kind of like a B grade sort of student. Um, and, you know, I would always win like highly motivated, like student kind of, you know, awards, you know, as a, you know, in my primary school, my mom would always love that. So funny, like proper like Chinese tiger mom. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what they were like book they were like book tokens um so so i just go and buy more books which is like i don't know it, it it worked for me um but yeah i don't know i probably got like something like 10 or something stupid you know it's a huge you know amount term after term in primary school um, and i never get it for like doing well at something which is i was just highly motivated and I guess it's just a bit of a character uh, trait of mine. And so it was like this book was like the key to to me to a new life. And one of one of the kind of the preface was um, about a guy who learned about my mapping himself and was in a similar position to me, kind of B, kind of C sort of grade student. Not that it meant anything, but it was just in in that context that was the kind of performance. Um, and you know, and he kind of went to Cambridge and aced his way there and you know, built an entrepreneur club or whatever. And I was just like that. I want to be, I want to be that person. And, and, you know, I, I went to Oxford. I was a scholar there, academic scholar, you know, got my first, got all my A grades, you know, won national awards for, for my artwork, represented Great Britain in the Beijing Biennale, you know, plus part of the Olympic Games. It was, you know, it's really, really grateful, really amazing. That was just the power of learning how to learn. So I think it was, to answer your question, it was just, like, um, I just, you know, self-directed, self-taught really. Um, and then I guess that just gives you the confidence to, to take on things, to, to, to learn a new skill, to open a new business, to, to move from a new country, to make new friends. Um, I take it for granted, but, um, I'll always remember that, that magic, um, sort of moment. Um, and then from the pedagogical side, it's, you know, I've, I've, I've self-taught it partly from working 10 years with, you know, as a coach, as a teacher and figuring it out. Um, but then, you know, more and more like technically and specifically as I've evolved, you know, with, with my snapshot. I, I could really hear, I don't know if it was really, it was just like this aha moment of relief and like, you know, you grew your wings and you flew when you were describing that that moment, you know, when you were 19. And then that teacher was like, hey, Charlotte, I think this is what it is. And you're like, oh, so it wasn't me. Oh, my God. This whole time. Like, I, I could really hear it in your voice. And then the stories that came after it was just like, I just imagine like this eagle soaring in my brain. 
Yeah, no, just just to clarify. So it was, it was at 13 when I read that book that that moment happened that I, out of pure like, will, I mean, I'm mildly to say it's not like heavily, it's also not light. I would say it's kind of medium mild, but it was like a real effort to kind of not succumb to like linear thinking and, and working. But it was a huge relief at 19 to just be like, I don't have to do it like that, you know, or I know why. And then you kind of have like different coping mechanisms. You can also like communicate it to people in a way that is kind of understood uh, versus kind of, I don't know, saying I feel stupid or whatever. It reminds me of a story I had when I was teaching and I was sitting next to the student and I was just talking to her and it was a maths class. And I just said, you know, how are you going? She's like, oh, you know, I find this really hard. And I was like, okay. No worries. And she's like, I just, the numbers, and I thought it was the actual process, you know, maths itself, the the method or whatever we were learning about, whatever topic. And she was just saying to me, uh, you know, the numbers just kind of jump around the page. And I was like, what, what do you mean? She's like, oh, yeah, you know, like I find it hard because the numbers keep moving. And so I have to really focus to try and read things and do things. And I was like, in my head, I was like, has anyone has anyone sort of helped you out with this thing? Because it's not what everyone experiences. This is quite unique to you. And and I was like, have you told your your teacher or your parents? She's like, nah, no, nah, I just deal with it. And I was I was fascinated because my response was like, do you know how amazing you are that you can do this? Because it's you know imagine just the cognitive and emotional energy it takes just. And I take it for granted, right? Like I can read things and letters and numbers don't move around for me. But she had to not only do that and pause things, she then had to use that to then construct an answer or construct something that made sense to someone else who doesn't have that. And I was just, I just remember feeling so at awe at how amazing she was to be able to do what she did. And for her, it was normal. She's like, what do you mean? Like, this is... I'm like, do you know how incredible you are to be able to do this? And she was 13, right? And I was really, I was trying to encourage her, not in a way that made her feel like she was isolated and that she was different, but just encourage her to be, to, to tell someone, like to tell her teacher or to tell her parents that, hey, this is just what it's like for me. And then for people to recognize and, and give her the support she needs. And it's not, and I, the reason why I bring this up is because, you know, thinking about your situation, it's like, I, that was something that I always wished in the classroom. It was like, how do I, you know, learning isn't linear. Unfortunately, it's taught linearly, right? Because it's it's the easiest way to be able to convey information to a lot of people in, in a way that quote unquote makes sense and it's not messy. And it's something that's structured so that teachers don't freak out, students don't freak out because there's just, there's just so much going on. But then you have all of these children who are so different in the way that they learn, they think, and like this girl, like just, things that they had to deal with in order to even access the learning. And it was always one of those things where I'm like, man, I just wish I could do that for every single student in the classroom always, you know, to be able to connect that way and to, to be able to shift things in for them in that way. So it's really interesting that you brought that up and it just brings me back to that moment and things I wish I could have done for my kids. That's the whole point. That's another thing for me, right, that learning is really personal, one, because we all think, move, operate slightly differently. And two, just just like, you know, what what 
we all have our amazing different kind of makeups and, and have different kind of things to offer and give. And I think that's part of the point as well. Like often we forget that and how it's, our, it's like a personal project. I was fortunate that I happened. I, my, it's crazy. I like asked my parents about the book. I'm like, oh my God, I, I, what is that? I don't, do we have it? Really? What? Like, it was like some like thing that they didn't even, that they even know about it. It was just like, it just like it appeared for like out of the blue somewhere. I was like, like, it's as if, I mean, yeah, they didn't know about it. But I think that's part of the thing, right? The skill of learning how we learn, not just learning how to learn, but how I learn, how Catherine learns, you know, how Tony learns. It's like a really other like important thing to kind of grow. So even if as you as a teacher, you can't always necessarily kind of have that one-to-one time, you can talk about it and, and introduce that subject. Um, and for me, that kind of comes into like agency. How, how do we, you know, as a skill set, um, and kind of talking about that, giving examples of that, giving space for that in in the teaching environment. And that's, that's part of the other reason why I developed my snapshots. I feel like you know, you can't necessarily always get to that if you don't have like a, a personal kind of framework to work off against that's structured, that that you can kind of put you on and be like, oh, okay, this bit I've got more understanding of and this bit not. So, you know, or I'm going to double down this skill and this strength, you know? So it's it's always so like on kind of up in the air, not so structured or clear uh, and surfaced. Um, and so you don't, it's, it's always that much more difficult um, if you don't have that, um, available. Interesting. And so I'm really interested to know what you found is one of the key points in learning from learning it yourself from the ground up. I think one, you know, if you read any book about learning, one of the first things they say is create a structure around what you're reading or what you're learning and kind of create some scaffolding. Yeah. And for me, like, that's all very well and it's correct and it's true, but you're partly having to do that because as I mentioned before, like the output is poor, like, sorry, the input is poor. So you're having to like, having to like improve the input so you can like learn better from, from it. So, you know, one of the things about my mapping is like you, you, you identify like the primary branches, the secondary branches, the kind of key words and, you know, you go into a lot of effort as a learner and, and and you still need to do that even when it's like really structured and laid out. But often we don't even, it's like hard to even get to that stage because you're like, you're just swamped with having to do that on top of like what the teacher's kind of giving you, like lots of like random information here and there. Um, so I, I find that um, like structure just it gives just kind of gives you a bit of an organizer in in your head it gives you it gives you a mental model um and that's that's like that you know that that's when you begin to understand the kind of backbone and you can begin to build connections and relationships with that specific set of knowledge as well as any prior knowledge that you have and i think when you when you develop that you're you're kind of integrating it more you know, um, interleaving is, is a more technical kind of term for that, for that technique. Um, and that's, that's said to be one of the ways in which you really, you know, it's not surface learning, it's deeper, deeper learning, um, and how you build mastery, not just in one skill, but in, in your life, because you can kind of make these connections and, and dots. 
So all of those experiences, I'm guessing you took that and have built upon that in my snapshot. Tell me a bit more about what my snapshot is. So it's a self-assessment methodology and digital tool. The methodology is very much about for course creators, how can you help your learners achieve that transformation there and the impact and results that they are looking to create in their lives. So from a, a course creator perspective, um, the methodology is really helping them create their framework so that they can have that, that structure of around the, the knowledge um, that they're teaching. So for example, with one client I'm working with at the moment, um, her, her students are speech and uh, language therapists. And, you know, it's very easy to be like, yeah, you need to be, you need to give really good, like, you know, sessions. Um, and you also need to have like streamlined operations so you can manage, you know, all the planning for the sessions, all the, you know, paperwork and billing, often they're like kind of freelancers um, and, you know, how you kind of communicate with, with other staff members, with teachers. And you can get very focused on the technical skills, being a good teacher, you know, structuring your sessions, using evidence-based um, backed strategies. But actually another big piece is intentional growth. So that's like her kind of third, her third pillar. And actually, you can look at that at, a, at an individual level, you know, as, as the teacher and, and their growth, both personally and professionally, but also within like the kind of school uh, kind of clinic setup that they're in. But equally, as a contributor to their community, like their industry, um, showing their best practices, attending conferences, um, and kind of giving back in, in that way. And for example, that third pillar is actually quite integral when you when you take a real step back and you look at what it takes to be um, a, a practitioner that really enables student progress is on top of their you know their systems so that they can have greater work life balance and is growing as an individual so they have a greater sense of fulfillment and joy. Yeah, actually, all these three pillars are really important. So often when we're teaching. We know we're so busy on like what we're teaching, what we're teaching, we kind of forget to take that step back and actually look at what is the bigger objective here and actually get that down, take that moment to pause and think and then and then think about how to actually communicate that in a way so that, you know, my students can can be like, oh, okay, like uh, it is all these three aspects that's going to enable my success you know, in, in the long run. And so I think that is a big part of the methodology of my snapshot and that you're, you're really thinking more holistically um, when, when creating a framework. And then it's like, how do I teach it? You know, often teachers are like, what's my curriculum? You know, what am I teaching? Um, and they get, and then they kind of dive too, too quickly um, in, in the deep end um, in, in, a, in a way. So taking that step back. Um, and then I, I recommend that they also create a rubric, which is a way of detailing uh, for each of the kind of components. So for example, how to structure a session, how, you know, what is, what's like beginner level at that, let's say, um, intermediate level and advanced level. So not only do they get like, Oh, okay, I now have like context of actually how to be 
a kind of successful and happy and not overwhelmed practitioner. Um, I also have a sense of kind of where I'm at in that process. Like she actually has as her rubric, uh, this is Marisha of SRP now, um, surviving, maintaining and thriving. You know, so it's not, it's not beginning, intermediate, advanced. It's not, you know, we're not looking at grading. We're looking at the reality of like, are you just like surviving here? Um, are you, are you maintaining or, and, you know, are you, are you thriving? And so it also gives other kind of contexts as a kind of reflection, reflection point. And so by developing what I call performance framework, which is a rubric of sharing like the different stages of progress and maturity and development in that given skill. Um, you also, as, as a student, get a sense of, okay, I now can orientate myself with how framework. And I now know where my, where I am located within that, with, with the performance framework. And then, so what my snapshot is, is you, you take an online self-assessment um, and you and you have the rubric as part of that, so you can score yourself um, in a standardized way, and you're invited to explain why you give that score. So you're also then self-reflecting, which is another big important part of of learning. And then once you complete your assessment, you receive a personalized report with your scores in a visual form. So there's a radar chart, um, and you see. Your score is kind of plotted out against that, against the you know the key pillars and components of of the skill that that you're learning, and that's also really helpful. So you get to see all the different dots and, and connections around that, you know, rather than just in a solely linear form. Um, so that's the first page of the report, and the second page is you you see all the reflections that you had put against each of the different components of of the skill that you're you're learning. And then what's great is it, it gives you a baseline if it's the first time you, you've taken it, and it's through that that you have your your personal framework, and that and that's really a big part of enabling that agency of the learner because they they're more aware of of where they're at, they're assessing their progress, the strategy, the learning strategy that they've taken today or lack of learning strategy that they've taken today. Um, and then they can adjust what they do next and choose what they do next in a more informed way because it's it's on paper, it's written down, it's recorded um, and something they can kind of go back to. It's not in their heads. It's not in the air. It's not, not described. You know, there's uh, what's also great about the framework is you have a language to describe the, the different elements. You have a structure in which to have a conversation, which you can always come away from, but it's it's better to 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 move from something versus kind of reinvent the wheel every time and kind of start from scratch. So I think um that that's really the kind of methodology and the digital tool is really the enabler of being able to take that assessment and receive that report um with you know using technology. Um and for a teacher that enables them to scale the impact of what they do versus, you know, it being done on paper or or manually, and they and they get their data in real time, which allows them to teach um, in a more data driven way. They can they can see, you know, with this cohort of students, if um, if they're particularly struggling in an area, um, and adjust how they teach that that class or address, you know what's being taught over the course of the course. And also it gives you other things as a result. You have that real-time data you can enable 
kind of matchmaking and connections between students who are struggling with similar things or have complementary skill sets, um, you know, versus trying to guess it or trying to read a lot of text in the onboarding surveys to figure out kind of who's who and, and what's what. So, yeah, those, you know, those are the key, key things. And as a teacher becomes more familiar with the framework and, and uses the tool, you know, they can just literally look at the snapshot, the radar chart of, of, the, of the student and just be like, right, you know, in an instant, they know where they're at. They don't need to have a 10 minute, an hour conversation to figure out where are they um, and appreciate it's a self-assessment. So, you know, it's not necessarily correct, but nothing is correct per se um it's just a snapshot of that moment in time and also what that person thinks of themselves you know a lot of a lot of who we are is predominantly driven by self-perception so and that and that's a big a big um indication of 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 where you're at and how you're thinking it's really interesting because i would imagine that for a lot of people who have take a course that has my snapshot as part of it it's probably the first time ever or in a long time where they've had such a structured way of learning and a framework to to kind of anchor themselves to when it comes to learning because a lot of what you talk about is things that we do in the background as teachers right but it's it's not really something that we involve a lot of students in especially in the younger years I think Um, I know for me you know it was something that we talked about in the older years but it wasn't something that was structured and formal in the way that this is and so the clarity that it can provide for, for a driven student, you know, would be awesome because at least I know how I can grow, where I can go to grow, and I can have a choice in what areas I want to grow for this season of my learning, you know, I, which I think is really, really cool and important and just a really cool way to learn because then, you know, even if you were without an instructor, then you can go and still do it yourself, right? But now you actually have the awareness of areas that you want to go through or go to or you know, areas that you want to prove on or areas of strength. So I think that that's really cool. Something you mentioned um, a little bit earlier in the conversation was around, um, you know, when you started reflexology learning and, but learning about the business side of things. And so, you know, for you and founding this, my snapshot, what are some challenges that you came up with and, and how did you overcome them? I mean, what what is the challenge that really just sticks out in your mind? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I'm a non-technical co-founder, I'm sorry, founder, you know, I don't have a technical co-founder. So I had to figure out how do I create technology that that enables, you know, th- the key jobs to be done um in this in this particular setup. And how do I how do I do it in a way that I I'm like de- kind of de- independent of 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 any like major technical support. Um and it was a huge learning curve. It was a huge learning curve to learn a lot about coding, um, different technologies, how they intersect together, what questions to ask, um, how to build a product, like so product development, user experience. And it's still an ongoing journey, but there was definitely a huge, a huge deep learning curve to begin with. And it was it was intense. It was a really, really full-on first first year year and a half um but you know i was just so excited by what it could enable and the amount of people who knocked on my door and who wanted to offer that to to their learners um it was just keep keep going and 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 figure it out and get the right people and support 
around you to 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 make it happen um yeah things are things are more stable now and you're always tweaking and improving and things and so you know any small change has this you know huge amount of backlog of consequences um like anything it's just in in technology it's just even more you know literally just one small thing just can just shut the whole thing down um just the way it's so in some ways very delicately interwoven but in some ways very robustly interwoven as well um so yeah i i I mean i did work in in two health tech companies for three over a three-year period um before starting my snapshot and that was partly to to gain exposure and experience and how do you build a technology company how do you build a product um how do all the different departments kind of speak to each other um so i was fortunate to, to have that experience and have the confidence and learning how to learn and how to overcome it. I mean, just sheer hard work, quite, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> plenty of mistakes, you know, definitely some moments where, you know, those mistakes came through and it did have consequences, but, you know, you just, you just learn and let it go and just, just jump onto the next thing. I could talk to you for days about learning and how this all came about, <laughs> but... I don't want to, uh, look, you know, you've been so gracious with your time. So I guess just some final questions for you, some quick fire questions, anything that comes to your brain. Uh, apart from that book that you read, what is your favorite book? Yeah, quick fire questions. The Tao Te Ching. Yeah, that comes to mind. I learned a lot about, about uh, yeah, being being in flow and um, how there's always a bit of yin yin and yang in, in, in every given situation and in, in, in ourselves and how to like, you know, en- energy management and, and, and like thinking management. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really influential book for me. Okay, cool. Uh, favorite podcast. Ooh, 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 ooh. I don't, I'm not generally a fave one. It's more kind of what am I listening to a lot at the moment. A few that come to mind is the Huberman podcast. He's a neuroscientist based in Stanford. Always love optimizing, as you probably gathered. So learning a bit more about what you can eat or do or rest to kind of help, help, you know, that little bit more gain. Um, he's fun. I like, he's fun. Um, so yeah, enjoy, enjoying that at the moment. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Your best resource for tech. I've learned a lot from from the no code movement. I've learned a lot about how you don't have to build everything from scratch, um, and how you can stitch things together. Um, MakerPad were like the pioneers of that back in the day. They still are, but they they kind of got that movement going. So um, I think that the mindset of of the no code movement is is really fascinating, um, and I've learned a lot about technology through through that lens. And what's a hobby that you've got? I am playing a lot of tennis at the moment, my dear. I <laughs> How are the knees? Playing. How are the knees going? Do you know what? We we um the club just like put down a new surface which is artificial clay. So it's really, really soft on the knees and uh, very grateful for that, um, mainly because I live in the UK and it rains quite a fair bit. So it just gives a bit of extra grip. So you're not kind of slipping around on, on a hard court um, and, it help, and it helps the knees. So, yeah, I mean, it's um, I think the best winners when it's like a winter's evening, a um, bit, bit chilly 
um, and you go out and make the most of it and play a match for your club and uh, you do you do all right. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good feeling. Uh, thank you for the visual. The artist in you never leaves, hey? Because a lot of, you know, you talking throughout this conversation was just painting visuals for everyone to see what what everything's about and uh, that perfect fine night on a winter's night with the clay, uh, <laughs> with yeah, the moon coming exactly. out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and when you're arriving, the sun is like setting, so you see the sunset, oh, there's the countryside, so you see it all. Oh, it's very, it. it's very, it's very dreamlike. I'll have to, I'll have to send you a photo. It's, it's very dreamlike. Please do. What, what can our community do to support you? That's very kind. That's very kind. Well, look, I think self-assessment, self-directed learning, community learning, learning community, learning with others, agency. I think these are still quite uncharted subjects and territories in the learning space. Like there's some research, but it's still quite early days. You know, if someone doesn't do as well as they thought, how do they emotionally manage that? How do they how do they navigate that? And that's a very common thing that's not talked about a lot. So yeah, two things really. If you, you know, if you're a teacher or learner, really interested about self-assessment, um, self-reflection, self-directed learning, learning with others, you know, please reach out. I'd love to hear your experience, what you're exploring, uh, what you're what you're discovering. Um and and yeah, if if you know of course creators who would love to help their learners achieve the transformation that they're really looking to create in their lives, um, love to, love to hear from you too, um, and hear like what's important for you, um, and and how how you're looking at go- making that happen. And when you say connect with you, how do we do then? Thank you. Yes. So you know, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, I also have a newsletter called Meta Learning uh, that. Uh, people can check out if you want to know as well kind of what I'm exploring and and writing about at uh, the present time and any feedback or thoughts on that as well very very welcome well my friend thank you for your time I really appreciate it and of course at such a busy time of the year thank you for your time and sharing just like all the goodness about learning I just love nerding out about learning I think maybe because of where I came from. And of course, to everyone who's listening, thank you so much for hanging out with us with the Women in Tech podcast to connect and collaborate with amazing people just like Charlotte from all around the world. Remember to go to womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. And of course, please say hello to us on our socials at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, Insta, and Facebook. And until next time, stay safe, be rad. Bye. Thanks, guys. Hi, this is Charlotte Crowther, founder at My Snapshot. My Snapshot is a self-assessment methodology and digital tool for enabling successful learners. I'm based just outside of London in the Surrey Hills, and you're listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.